Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to The Dark Parts, a show where we explore the darkest parts of history, the world, and your mind. I'm your host, Heath, and with me today, as always, is the lovely Queen of Scream, Daphne. Daphne, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's so freezing in the studio now all the time because of winter, so I have my hot tea. I'm a little nervous to talk about this today because I'm a person who has so many nightmares every week, sometimes multiple a night, as you know, Heath, because Heath I'll be whimpering in my sleep and Heath will shake me awake and I'm always so fucking grateful. So how are you doing, Heath? I'm doing really good. I'm, I'm really good. It's really cold outside, um, but I'm really excited to talk about today's uh, episode because I'm a big horror fan. And if you're a horror fan, then you're definitely going to dig this one. For everyone who is loving the dark parts out there and you want to help the show and you also want to rep us out there in the world... Check out our website, thedarkparts.com, and hit the shop tab. We've got sweatshirts, t-shirts, a mug. I just added some new stuff, so go check it out. Actually, one of our listeners, Crystal, uh, suggested that we make Dead Girl Finger in the Belly merch, which <laughs> I, honestly sounds pretty amazing. We might have to do that. I mean, what if we just started making like really obscure merch items? I, I feel like every every different topic we cover, I want to make a shirt for it, so... If you guys don't know what Dead Girl Finger in the Belly is, it's from the last episode we did on the Elevator Game, which is a really creepy episode, and you should go listen to it if you haven't, of course, after you finish this one. But if honestly, if you guys want some specific uh, merch items, just let us know, and we'll try to work on that. Yeah, I love designing merch, and it's super fun for us, and uh, we love just creating things for you guys. So check out our merch, thedarkparts.com. Uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. It's a banger. I think you guys are going to like it, so let's get into it. Nightmares. We've all had them. I've personally had a reoccurring nightmare of that Halloween episode from the show Boy Meets World since I was a kid. Yes. And don't even pretend that that episode wasn't scary because you're full of shit. But how scary can nightmares really be? Can they be scary enough to not only affect us mentally, but also physically? Well, for a group of people in Southeast Asia, that fear is very real. So join us, strangers, as we enter the dream world of REM, also known as Rapid Eye Movement, to figure out why Freddy wears that ugly-as-fuck red-and-green Christmas sweater in today's super-scary-sleepy story of the dark parts. Before we can take a deep dive into the stories of today's episode, we first have to understand a little bit about how dreams and nightmares work. Around 50 to 70% of people experience nightmares at least once a month and as many as 5% of young adults and 2% of older adults will experience them on a nightly basis, like me. Like Daphne. Scientists have been able to track nightmares based on a chart. The duration is the first statistic ranging from acute to persistent and then severity which ranges from mild to severe. There are also factors that come into play when we gauge how serious someone's nightmares really are. Things like bad sleeping habits, medication or substance abuse, disassociation, meaning someone who could be avoiding their problems and those problems surface into a dream state instead, and even specific thinking styles. Anxious or negative people may have a higher chance of experiencing nightmares. And the clinical term for these experiences is called nightmare disorder. And it's also known that fear isn't the only reason you may have nightmares. Multiple studies have shown that confusion, disgust, 
guilt, and sadness attribute to nightmares and seem to linger long after you're awake. Or maybe you just listen to a shit ton of scary podcasts like me. Yeah, exactly. If, if you talk about murder on a daily basis, then um, you might have nightmares. It's said that the cycle REM, which again is rapid eye movement, is the period in which people experience nightmares. Now, this happens every 90 minutes while you're sleeping and is usually the last cycle in your sleep. Your brain goes into high activity mode, almost like if you're awake but you're sleeping. Surprisingly, there's a way to fix these issues. One of the treatments is called Imaginary Rehearsal Therapy, or IRT, and it uses your nightmares against themselves. After you wake from a nightmare, you're supposed to write down the events in your bad dream and find solutions to the problem that is happening in your nightmare. So, it's kind of like this. If you paint a mental picture of the solution and keep that solution in your mind, it may help you fight back when you're in said nightmare. But one thing that scientists still haven't discovered is if nightmares can be genetic. Well, our story today dives into why it may be possible that a specific group of people may be predisposed to experiencing night terrors. The other night I had a nightmare that I was being hunted in the forest and I got shot with a bow and arrow three times. And another recent nightmare I remember is Stephen King, the horror author, was trying to murder me. And I was in a house in the middle of the woods. And I was, I was so, I love that guy. Why, why was he trying to kill me? That just sounds really creepy. I mean, maybe it's because like he's the master of horror. Like he knows exactly how to tap into your fears. It was really scary too, because I was running from him in the woods. And then he called me on my phone and obviously... And I was hiding inside this house, and it was like a glass house, and I could see him. Anyway, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. My my worst nightmares are, like, I'm stuck in this garage, and there's, like, thousands of snakes, and all I have is a machete, and I have to, like, kill all these. I'm We have very am, different nightmares. Yeah, I'm deathly as- afraid of snakes. Like, I cannot stand snakes. Sorry to anybody out there that loves snakes. Um. It's just something I've been going through since my childhood um, after I watched that movie Anaconda with oh, Ice Cube yeah. and J-Lo. I, I saw that in like kindergarten and it scared me, but not enough to be like, like I don't like snakes, but I, I hear you. I hear you. Oh, for sure. If you're like us, then you probably love horror films. And one of the biggest names to grace the genre is the creep we love to hate, the Springwood slasher and the evil of Elm Street. Freddy Krueger. Yes, bitch. In 1984, horror director Wes Craven had already made a name for himself in the genre with films like The Hills Have Eyes and The Last House on the Left. But Wes wanted to really tap into people's fears. An article caught his eye that talked about a young boy from Cambodia who had become a refugee from his country and was terrified to sleep because he believed he would be attacked in his dreams. During the mid to late 70s, a regime called the Khmer Rouge ruled Cambodia under dictator Pol Pot. Essentially, this guy was like the Southeast Asian version of Hitler. Pol Pot's goal was to create a master race, and through the process, he was responsible for over 2 million deaths, which created the Cambodian genocide. This was known as the Killing Fields. So this young boy tried to stay awake as long as possible, which is never healthy for our bodies or our brains. 
But one night, the boy finally gave in to our most primal instinct, and he fell asleep. I also read that he actually had a coffee maker hidden in his room, and he was just drinking like copious amounts of coffee. To- just like, sorry, just like Nightmare on Elm Street. Exactly. So the boy's parents were now relieved to know that their son had finally been able to fall asleep. That is, until they heard loud screams in the night. By the time the boy's parents had reached him, the boy was already dead. And this boy was only 21 years old. But the strangest part was that the medical examiner couldn't find a cause of death. The boy was 21, like I said, and appeared to be quite healthy and was also living in the U.S., far away from the death and destruction in his home country. Even stranger, this wasn't an isolated incident. Oh no. This was happening very frequently amongst Southeast Asian men. So weird. It's very, very strange. The original article came out in 1981, but these deaths had been occurring for a few years prior to the incident I just highlighted. And also, they they go back as far as the 1950s. It seemed that Southeast young Asian men, mostly the Hmong people from Laos and Vietnam, were experiencing these unexplained deaths that the news was now calling Asian death syndrome. What a weird thing to call it, too. Yeah, it almost has like a tone of racism, but I don't think it is racist because it's only happening to these Asian men, but it it does kind of sound that way. Which is such a weird phenomenon because if they can't explain it and then weirdly enough all these like just Asian men are dying in the same way that's just it's just odd that must have just been crazy so most of the men who experienced this puzzling death were in their early 20s to late 30s and had been persecuted in Laos due to the fact that they helped the CIA fight northern Vietnamese soldiers during the Vietnam War about 30,000 Hmong soldiers helped the US during the war and died at a rate 10 times higher than U.S. soldiers did. When the war was over, Vietnam leadership saw the Hmong people as traitors and exiled them from the country where they became refugees in either the U.S. or Thailand. But the damage of the war had been done, and most of these refugees had experienced unimaginable trauma through it all. When Hmong people were finally in a place where they felt safe, these tragic nightmare deaths started to pop up. Scientists began to study this type of death and were worried that it was some sort of disease that could spread to other people. But after some research, they were able to rule out this as a possibility, so it wasn't like some sort of virus or anything like that that was contagious. Then scientists began to consider that maybe lethal gases, like, you know, Agent Orange or whatever that was used in Vietnam, could be affecting the Hmong people with a delayed reaction. So maybe they inhaled this gas during the war, and like later on, this made them sick and caused these deaths. But that really didn't hold a lot of weight either. The last suspicion was that the Hmong people were suffering from extreme PTSD that couldn't be controlled during the sleep cycle. One doctor who actually examined one of the Hmong men experiencing night terrors explained that the young man was experiencing ventricular fibrillation, meaning that his heart muscle was contracting without affecting his normal beating pattern. So it's basically like your heart squeezing together, but all the signs show that your heart is healthy. Much like a common heart attack. So it's, it's kind of like a heart attack, but not really. 
But the weird part was that the man was checked and had no signs of cardiac artery disease, and he was extremely healthy. Scientists began to wonder if these attacks could be caused by a spasm that throws off the rhythm of the heartbeat. A headline from the Los Angeles Times titled, Night Deaths of Asian Men, published on July 10, 1983, explained that each year, hundreds of young men from Japan, the Philippines, and Indonesia were suddenly dying in their sleep with a gasp or a shout. Eighty deaths, which Japanese people were calling pokuri, which I think that's how you say it, had occurred in 1980 alone, and out of all 80, only four were female deaths. Scientists were now calling these deaths sudden unexplained nocturnal death syndrome. So this unexplained disease had many names throughout many cultures over many years. What's really scary about this phenomena is the stories the surviving victims tell about their experience. One man's experience that I read goes like this. At first I was surprised, and then I got really scared. While I was laying in bed, I saw a dark shadow in the night. I was so tired because I had been working so hard lately. I had so many problems and I couldn't stop thinking about them. I would lie awake in bed and just dwell on them. Then all of the sudden, I heard a noise. But when I tried to turn, I couldn't move. My bedroom looked as it always has, but I could see a dark figure in the corner of the room, and it was hovering towards me. It came to my bed, over my feet and my legs. It began to crawl up my bed and onto my body. It felt heavy as it pressed against my chest. It became so heavy that I couldn't breathe. My chest was frozen like I was drowning. I just had no air. I tried to yell so that someone sleeping close to me could hear, but nothing came out. I tried to use force to move using all of my strength, but I was stuck. What if I die, I thought. Then, as quickly as the figure came, it left. I was able to breathe again, and I jumped from my bed and turned on the lights. I was so afraid, I never wanted to sleep again. And this account was actually from a 33-year-old Hmong refugee. So it is a true story. Now this brings up the topic of sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is actually quite common and occurs when a person experiencing a nightmare brings that dream into their conscious state upon waking. So it's basically like a nightmare spilling over into the real world, which is really scary if you think about it. Oh yeah, definitely scary. Your brain tricks you into thinking that you're still in the nightmare and that it's real. It typically takes a few minutes to realize that you're awake and that what you were experiencing was just a nightmare. But would these visions of terror be enough to cause young, healthy men to die from them? I guess that would depend on the level of trauma and stress a person deals with on a day-to-day basis. Having these type of nightmares may be enough to make you want to stay awake forever, but investigative scientists believe that this could have made the situation worse for Hmong men. Sleep deprivation is said to increase the likelihood of sleep paralysis and can also strain the heart, making it weak, making it harder for you to survive a terrifying night attack. Hmong men also explained in interviews that the spirits who protected them in Laos during the war may not have been able to travel with them to the U.S. and would then not be able to protect them from evil spirits. 
There was a large amount of guilt that Hmong people were experiencing due to leaving their homeland, and one of the evil spirits that Hmong people feared was called Dacho. This spirit was known to terrorize the people of Laos, and many Hmong believed that without protection from protective spirits, the more evil spirits could run rampant through the community. Hmong people also say that the evil spirits must be fed once a year by sacrifice. If this is neglected or forgotten, the evil spirits will come for you. But of course, doctors and scientists want to find a medical explanation for these deaths. An article from February 26, 1981 in the Los Angeles Times talks about another refugee's experience with SUNDS, S-U-N-D-S. It reads, In search of freedom, opportunity, and a new life, Long Lang Tao brought his wife and eight young children to America from a Laotian refugee camp in Thailand last July. His search ended last month. Instead of finding a new life, Yong Lan Tao touched off. One that left this city and the Hmong tribal communities in fear and prompted a call for a federal investigation. He had been up late watching television with an uncle and slipped into bed in the early hours of January 8th. That briefly awoke his wife, Young Yu, but both were soon asleep. Then came his labored breathing so loud that it awakened her. She shook him. The tears ran down her face as she recounted those next moments of horror. Moments in which she realized that she could do nothing more. Suddenly, her husband was dead. And the article then goes on. And it's so weird to kind of hear this story about how she is shaking him and she's right there witnessing this and he's just he just dies. Like It's not like she can wake him up from a nightmare and he's fine. It's like, that's just so scary. Yeah, it's really scary. And especially scary because it's happening to these young men. Like, you could understand if you were, um, you know, near the end of your life or in your 80s or 90s and you're experiencing stuff like this. But these are men that are in their 20s and in their 30s. Oh, and by the way, earlier when I said, when I said sons, S-U-N-D-S, that's sudden unexplained nocturnal death syndrome, just as a reminder. Yeah, so if we say sons, just know that that's what that is. Now, Tao's death would have gone unmarked, except that he was the second Hmong man in Portland, Oregon, to pass unexpectedly and inexplicably. These terrors and fears of sudden death became so unhinged in the Hmong community that Hmong men started to dress up as women in order to fool the evil spirits that they believed were causing all this death. They're oh like, Oh my God, that's gnarly. Yeah, exactly. Because the men knew that sons was disproportionately affecting them rather than women in the community. So they're like, okay, let's just dress up as women and maybe these evil spirits won't try and crush us. Oh my God. Because they think that they're convincing the spirits, which means that they believe this is done by spirits. And Wow, that's so, that's so interesting. Yeah, really interesting. So going back to the sleep paralysis theory, the term nocebo came into play. You've probably heard of the word placebo and the placebo effect, but nocebo works in a very similar way. If you focus intensely on negative thoughts, your worst nightmares could actually come true. Whether you believe this or not is really subjective, but I do think it's interesting that all these men experienced, you know, very, very high trauma through the war. 
Then they had to flee their country, and that caused a lot of stress. And, you know, they migrated to the United States, and now they have to take care of their family and can't afford it. So maybe this is really just a lot of PTSD and stress that's causing this. I mean, it does make sense because we know how negatively stress affects the body and how people can have heart attacks just from stress alone, like how they say stress is a killer. Right. And we also know that PTSD is a real thing and it does exist. And also, you know, whether you believe in manifestation or not, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you're constantly thinking about bad things and you're putting your body through that stress, you know, of no fault of your own. It's not like you're thinking of these bad things because you want to. But if you've gone through all that trauma and heartache and and terror, then maybe, you know, you don't have a choice. It's just there in your brain all the time. And, and then it just takes over your body. Yeah. And this is such an interesting thought to me because you think about all the different factors. You think about war. You think about... Uh, migration, you think about like famine and PTSD and anxiety and stress and even guilt. They're talking about how these Hmong men were feeling this guilt for having to move their family out of their homeland. So all of those things adding up, I mean, who knows? Is that really enough to kill a person? I think so, which is really sad because again, no fault of their own. And here's an interesting one. In the Philippines, people believe the evil spirit, Batibat, is responsible for the sudden deaths. This spirit takes the form of a grotesque woman who lurks in the trees and becomes furious when Filipinos cut them down in order to use the wood to build a home. The spirit is said to find holes in the walls of the home in order to sneak in. So I'm guessing this spirit can shapeshift as well. The Batibat will then wait until a resident of the home falls asleep and then sit on the person's chest, crushing them with her weight and killing them. Apparently, if you're in the midst of a Batibat attack. Yeah, say that five times fast. Batibat attack, Batibat attack, Batibat attack. <laughs> I was going to say Batibat attack. <laughs> so you're to wiggle your toes, which forces the heart to reawaken. So it seems as if every culture has their own explanation for why people were suddenly dying in their sleep. Two Italian cardiologists later helped reclassify sons as Brugada syndrome. Brugada syndrome is a condition that causes a disruption in the heart's normal rhythm and can lead to irregular heartbeats in the heart's lower chamber. Now, even though these cardiologists believe this could be causing these deaths, it was never confirmed positively. And the cause is still unknown to this day. And I actually found a Reddit thread posted by a person who suffers from Brugada syndrome. And they explained that every three months, they have to take a visit to the electrocardiologist office and have a magnet placed in their chest that is connected to a computer. Jeez. And I guess these doctors can then download data on the heart's condition and send it to other cardiologists to study. Apparently, there is no cure for this disease other than having an ICD, which is an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, which keeps track of your heart rate, which is a little different than a pacemaker. So this thing apparently can also shock you if you go into cardiac arrest, which then saves your life. So wow, pretty imp- yeah, pretty crazy, right? You're kind of like Iron Man. So pretty interesting stuff. Now, before we get a little ahead of ourselves, I want to share a few short stories of sleep paralysis that will scare the absolute, absolute, (laughs) 
You're that. It's gonna scare the absolute shit out of you. So, <laughs> anyways, these stories come from a BuzzFeed article titled 31 Truly Terrifying Tales from People with Sleep Paralysis. And I, I think you probably know this, but when I was in high school, um, my friend Madison and I, we made a film about sleep paralysis called Waking Nightmare. And uh, we entered it into the film festival at our school. And during the scary part, which is during the sleep paralysis, everyone started cracking up. And we were like, oh, didn't, didn't know <laughs> oh, this no. was a comedy. <laughs> like, yeah. it was supposed to be a horror movie and everyone's, like, cracking up. Oh, no. Yeah, it was really sad. I didn't win. <laughs> is that why you became a podcaster instead? Yeah. <laughs> Failed filmmaker. Me. Here. I thought it was good, though. I thought it was really good. But, hey. I'm biased. Apparently not everybody thought it was that great, though. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to read all of these terrifying tales because there's literally 31 of them. If you're interested, you can always check out that article. But here's a few that really stuck out to me that I thought were pretty creepy. So this story comes from a woman named Jen Clayton on Facebook. Here it goes. I couldn't move. My chest felt crushed. It was hard to breathe. And I could hear loud hammering. A few feet away, a robed figure sat on my chair and slowly moved towards me. As it got closer, a menacing skull appeared. The only thing I could move were my eyeballs. Another one that we thought was really scary was submitted by Vicki Halstead, also via Facebook. It reads, I usually see someone come into my room with a crazed grin staring at me. I try to scream, but I can't. They lean over and start suffocating me. It's a sense of overwhelming helplessness. The whole time, I'm just repeating to myself, wake up, wake up, wake up. And this one just gives me the worst feelings, even though it's short, packs a horrifying punch in my opinion. I just, I have, luckily I've never been through sleep paralysis. It's just the nightmares for me. But thinking about being in my room and like, you know, something walks into your room and it looks like that and that happens to you often or even if it just happens once and it's in your room, it just makes it all the more real. And the crazed grin, don't get me started. Oh yeah, don't even get me started on that weird, creepy smile. No, I like the smiles. Submitted by user Holly49AC058B2, the story goes like this. It usually feels like someone is sitting on my chest choking me and I see staring faces right above mine, laughing and screaming gibberish. Okay, now read that again and picture an old woman with gray translucent eyes, like kind of like dead eyes, hovering over your face with her slobbery spit dripping on your face with open sores gushing blood and pus from them. Mm. Her gray frizzy hair touching your cheeks all while she's hysterically laughing at your helplessness and speaking in tongues. Oh, no. Because that's exactly what I pictured when I read that short one. And now you are, too, so you're welcome. Now, if you're a horror fan, you guys are probably going to love this next part because we're going to give you some facts about Wes Craven's masterpiece, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, you already know what inspired the film, but how did the name Freddy transpire? Well, Wes Craven's childhood bully was named Fred Krueger. Oh my god, I didn't know that. That's so funny. Yeah. The bully was also responsible for the villain's name, Krug, 
in the film The Last House on the Left. Oh my God, he really must have tortured Wes. Yeah, and I don't know what this kid did to Wes, but it must have been pretty shitty considering he named the worst horror villains he could think of after him. That's insane. Do we know what what, uh, Fred thought of this? I mean, he must have been kind of impressed. I mean, maybe he was. Maybe he turned out to be a really great guy. I doubt it, though. Yeah, fuck bullies. Another really interesting fact is that in 1991... The mayor of Los Angeles, Tom Bradley, proclaimed that September 13th, which was also a Friday the 13th that year, as Freddy Krueger Day, which fucking enraged some people. A woman named Tammy Bruce, who was the president of the Los Angeles chapter of the National Organization for Women, had this to say, declaring a day in celebration of a character that exists to slaughter people is absolutely horrendous. And wow, Tammy seems like a whole lot of fun, doesn't she? It's a movie. I mean, and it's not even like a movie about a real... I mean, obviously it's based on real events, but it's not real. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're not relax, making a... Relax, Tammy, relax. Yeah, they're not making a Richard Ramirez fucking day. Like, yeah. chill out, chill out, Tammy. And Tom, I totally feel you, and I support you, my friend. Is that still a thing? I never heard of that. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if they went through with it, but I know oh. that he did propose that that day was going to be Freddy Krueger Day. Love that guy. So Wes always said that when he was living in Cleveland, Ohio as a child, he was laying in bed one night when he heard shuffling and mumbling coming from the sidewalk outside his second story apartment. Wes crept out of bed to peek out the window and noticed a drunk homeless man wearing a dirty overcoat and a fedora-style hat walking past. At some point, the man noticed that Wes was watching him, and the man looked up towards Wes's window, staring directly into his eyes. Wes quickly scurried back into his bed out of fear, but then out of curiosity, felt the need to look again. When he did, the man was still standing there, staring up at Wes's window, which would have scared the shit out of me because what is that guy going to do? Oh my God. I just, I can picture this as a movie scene too. Just this creepy, dirty, vagrant, drunk man who has crazy fucking eyes and you're like a little, yeah. And you're just a little child staring out your window in, you're in this like urban area of the city. Carry on brother. Keep walking. So the man then walked towards the entrance of the apartment but Craven's older brother ran downstairs with a baseball bat, which is good because I was I was actually thinking that that he's what if he's going to, you know, stampede the, the apartment door when he got to the bottom of the stairs and looked outside for the man. He was gone. So luckily, nothing bad happened there. And if you're um, if you're a horror fan, there's a really good movie that's pretty similar to this scenario. It's called The Vagrant. And it's from the early 90s, but it's really, it's really, really fucking weird, and it's really unsettling. Go check out the movie The Vagrant. It's so creepy. Wes also said that this man had malice in his face, and that he was terrified by the man's sick sense of humor regarding how delightful it was to scare a young child, which, I mean, makes total sense. So this led Wes to give his infamous film villain his trademark brown hat. I think it's so interesting the fact that he's taking all these elements from childhood terrors and putting them into a horror movie. Like, that's really cool. Well, I mean, the thing is, is like, you know what you've experienced as far as fear goes in your life, and you know what scares you. 
And that might be, those might be the same things that scare other people. So I think using that to your advantage is really smart. Oh yeah, totally. But obviously there was one more piece of clothing that is even more recognizable, and that's Freddy Krueger's red and green striped sweater. And you may be thinking that there wouldn't be significance to Freddy's sweater, but there definitely is. So this is how dedicated to terror Wes Craven really was. And no, Freddy didn't have a hidden love for fucking Christmas. Damn. Yeah, right? An article in the magazine Scientific American explained that the pairing of red and green is the most difficult color combination for the human eye to perceive correctly. So, Freddy's sweater was specifically designed to cause the viewer discomfort. But not just any red and green will do the trick. There are definitely specific shades of red and green, so you can't just pick any type of red and green. They're, they actually found, the science actually shows that this specific shade of red and this specific shade of green causes people discomfort. Well, I was going to say, because, you know, those are Christmas colors, and Christmas is asso- associated with jolliness. So that does make sense. That is really weird that it's down to a scientific level of discomfort in people, like, in your body, you just don't like those colors together. It's really clever. Yeah, and I just think that's amazing that Wes and the people who worked on the film went that deep into people's discomfort and fears to really find this villain character that, I mean, lasted decades and is still, you know, still scary to this day. So, strangers, what did we learn today? We learned that war fucking sucks, especially if you survive it and have to live with the trauma. If you were a male refugee from Southeast Asia in the early 1980s and you survived, you're probably one tough motherfucker. We also learned that even though sleep paralysis is common, that doesn't mean that it doesn't suck ass. If you're ever caught in one, just wiggle those damn toes. Also, it might be a good idea to not keep things like coat racks or lamps or anything that could be confused as an evil spirit in the corner of your room, unless you want to have nightmares of being crushed. And if that's your kink, you do you, friend. And lastly, we learned that you should really be aware of your style choices and choose your colors wisely, because you really don't want to be walking down the street minding your own beeswax and have people staring at you thinking, Wow, that person is unsettling, and I hate them, but I really don't know why. If it's green and red, you'll look like Fred. Just put it back on the rack, Becky. Today's horror tip comes to you from, you guessed it, A Nightmare on Elm Street. If a child murderer is starting to kill teens in their sleep in your quintessential American neighborhood, don't let the fear spread. As Nancy says, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And by the way, I actually have a picture of myself at the Nightmare on Elm Street house, which is actually located in a Hollywood neighborhood. And I'm going to post that on our social, social media pages. So if you're interested in seeing that photo, go and check it out. He's very proud of it. I'm extremely proud of it. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Dark Pots. Yes, this was a fun one to go into because I think it's so interesting how little we know about dreams and sleeping and nightmares. So it's always interesting to learn a little bit more and to talk about them just because it's all just so unexplained to this day. And, you know, the other thing that's really strange about this episode is that I don't think that these sudden deaths among 
Hmong people happen to this day. I think that that was a specific thing that happened back in the 80s. I don't know if it happens nowadays. Yeah, I, I mean, I hadn't heard of it before this. So, I, you know, in sleep paralysis, we all know what sleep paralysis is. We've all heard about it. But this is so different. So I do wonder, and that is really, really weird. And that just makes the whole situation a lot more strange. Oh, and more, a little bit more about the Batty Bat. Um, there's actually a movie called Evil Takes Root, and it came out just a few months ago, and it's about the Batty Bat. And I, I, I think it looks kind of good, but who knows? It might not be good. It has really low ratings, but hey, maybe we should give it a chance, guys. It's a smaller film, and it looks creepy, so we should watch that. It does look really fucking creepy. I mean, sometimes you watch a trailer, and the trailer looks amazing. But it was a film, good trailer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looked good, but sometimes the film is actually crap. But hey, you know what? I'm going to give it a try, and we'll report back. And if you guys have any suggestions, again, we say this all the time, but if you have suggestions for um, different mysteries or urban legends that you want us to cover, just let us know. Send us a message or comment on one of our posts. We would love to um, cover the things that you want us to cover. Yes, we have a Facebook page, The Dark Parts. We also have a Twitter, which is The Dark Parts Pod. And then we have an Instagram, The Dark Parts Podcast. Yeah, and don't forget about that Dark Parts merch, thedarkparts.com. Click the shop tab. All right, strangers. We'll see you next time in the dark parts. (laughs) 